0: So welcome back. Hope you had a good lunch. Such a beautiful um, space here. Steve told me there's a, a lot of you've never this is first time here at Spirit Rock. Maybe raise your hands, I'm curious to see too. Yeah. So yeah, so hope you enjoyed beautiful nature here. Maybe you saw some turkeys too. There's lots of turkeys here. A lot of yellow jackets too, that's right. But no lions, tigers, and well, there could be a mountain lion, but that 's very rare you 're lucky if you see a mountain lion, but no tigers or bears. so maybe we 'll just sit for a couple of minutes and do a little bit of a reflection and um, and then we 're going to present a little information about mindfulness and stress reduction and and brain physiology we 'll just sit for a minute to settle. We have this acronym in MBSR, stop, S-T-O-P, stop to take a few breaths. So stop, and then T to take a few breaths. O to observe what's happening in your body and mind here and now. And P, proceeding on being present. This can form a, a recalibration. That perhaps even in the middle of the day you can stop for a few moments, take a few breaths, checking in with your body and mind. Perhaps you'll notice that your shoulders are up higher than your ears and now that you're aware of it, again, the light of awareness, I can bring my shoulders down. So just taking a few moments. Another name for the STOP acronym is a mindful check-in, just Stopping for a few moments and mindfully checking into your body and mind. How are you feeling physically in the body? What's the mood or temperament? And to acknowledge what's present, to let be. From that beautiful poem that Steve read this morning, Allow. Allow and let be. Just taking a few moments, just checking in with your own body and mind being present. And so, withdrawing from this stopping practice or mindful check in. And it's helpful to know that you can bring that into your day to day life, pausing for a few minutes, a few moments even, to acknowledge what's present within your body and mind. But for now, I'd like you to just to reflect upon, um, of course, it's inevitable as a human being that we will experience challenges, stress in life. From getting caught in traffic jams to difficulties in interpersonal communication and of course the inevitabilities uh, that all of us as human beings share as far as the processes of aging, illness, death, separation. And so just uh, reflect upon when you come up against (coughs) An unpleasant event. How does it affect you in your, in your thoughts, in your emotions, and in your body? You now, a familiar one with me is getting stuck in traffic jams, feeling very frustrated thinking, I don't know if if I'll get there. Of course, I begin to clench my teeth and hold the steering wheel tightly. So just maybe just a bit of a reflection on what type of thoughts do you think when you come up against an unpleasant event, a stressful situation? What type of thoughts do you think? What type of emotions do you feel? And how does it affect your body? just silently, perhaps for a few moments to reflect upon this. So thank you. And I'm actually going to bring this little board a little bit up in the front here.
1: I'll just leave it here for the time being. Pretty much
0: people see, okay, and what is thoughts, emotions, and sensations. And so what I would like to just call out to you all is what type of... um, thoughts do you think when you come up against a stressful situation you just maybe raise your hand and i'll call upon you and just get a few down i want to write them down on the board something brief please this pain, is going to get worse. this pain going get worse okay you probably won't read my writing and even if it was bigger you might not be able to read it get the drift okay and another what other thoughts please what's, what's wrong with my life that is so what's wrong with my life to deal with it deal with this please not again not again anybody know that one <laughs> not again yeah Should have known better. Anyone know that one? (laughs) Shoulda, coulda, woulda. But another? I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. Maybe one more. Please. Deal with this now. We'll get huge. Oh, I saw so many hands. Another one, please. How do I escape? How do I escape? Okay. All right. Oh, one more. (laughs) Okay. Why is always? Happening <clears throat> to me. Okay, so we'll we'll move on to emotions. So when you have feeling, when you have thoughts like, "Why is this always happening to me? How can I escape? If I don't deal with this, it's going to get bigger. Not again." So so forth. We have these type of thoughts and many more. What type of emotions do you feel? Fear. Fear. Anger. Anger. Anxiety, Help. helplessness, frustration, frustration. sadness, sadness. Hurt. hurt. You guys are good. <laughs> well, a... lonely. lonely, guilt, guilt. Disgusted. disgusted. Oh, yeah, this is really good. <laughs> Humiliated. I'll add that one. I'm into humiliation and shame. (laughs) Possibility. 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 Hostility. Difference. Hostility. Resentment. Resentment. Okay. Embarrassed. Embarrassed. Overwhelmed. You're all really good. Okay, we can go on. We can go on, we can go on. And so, just to help illustrate potentially the mind body connection. So, when you're having a thought like, I should have known better, and I'm frustrated, or I didn't mean to, and I'm disgusted, and how can I escape, and I feel helpless, and Um, why is this happening to me and I'm feeling fear and so forth, what type of uh, sensations do you feel when you have these type of thoughts and these types of emotions? Anyone raise, please. So I'm going to use kind of like the red symbol to indicate that area. Tightness in the chest. I'll just draw some arrows. Fatigue. I'll put an arrow down. Sweating. Sweating. What's that? Shoulders, Shoulders tight. Neck. neck. Jaw. Upset. What's that? Stomach upset. Stomach. Frowning. <laughs> What's that? Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey. Breathing. <laughs> type lymph nodes. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, evacuation. <laughs> Solid liquid. You know, what goes in comes out. We got in-pipes and out-pipes. And um, so you can see, this is a very powerful image here of how powerful our... Thoughts and emotions are connected to our body. This is very important to know. And, you know, the neuroscientists have begun to chart out these various neural pathways to begin to understand the wiring, the connections between our mind and body. This is important for us to understand. And it's not to say that some stresses are actually important. This is what keeps us safe at times. And to have a, an awareness of danger. And if we didn't have that, we would have the problems of what happened to Og. Now, Og and Ig were two prehistoric clans way back in the olden days. Og and Ig. Ig had a great fear of dinosaurs and Tyrannosaurus rexes and saber-toothed tigers. Og had no fears whatsoever. It turns out we are all descendants now of Ig. There's no Ogs left. Now, this is kind of a metaphorical thing, but the, the truth is like so the, the, being aware of um, keeping ourselves safe in our biology is helpful. Also, you go to the gym, and you work out in a cardiovascular training. You're strengthening your heart rate. So there's certain types of stresses that can be healthy. But when the stresses turn into distress, when the cup runneth over, if you will, we can get ourselves out of balance. And there's actually a beautiful um, quote from Lazarus, uh, A stress research, and he says it's when the demands exceed the resources, we begin to uh, destabilize when the demands exceed the resources. And so um, I just want to help illustrate the importance of how powerful our thoughts and emotions are and how they affect our physiology. And again, um, we were speaking earlier about the importance (coughs) of mindfulness because once that light is turned on, we have more options, more choices to respond, perhaps in more wiser ways than ways that are potentially counterproductive or at times even destructive. So I want to show you, this is actually inspired from Dr. Gary Schwartz. It's actually called the Health Systems Feedback Loop. This is a little bit more simplified language, but I want to give the due credits. And this is a little bit of an equation. And... The equation is is when we're unaware, we're disconnected from our experience. And when we're disconnected from our experience, there's a probability factor of us beginning to spin out of balance. So how that would maybe translate in everyday life, I'll give the example of getting stuck in traffic again. And so let's say I do get stuck in traffic and I realize I'm going to be late and it's very upsetting and I'm starting to get very anxious and so forth. And I begin to potentially start to hold the steering wheel so tightly that my knuckles are turning right and it's white and it's forcing different muscle skeletal tension around my body and within my body. Begin to breathe more rapidly and more regularly. That's forcing my heart rate and blood pressure, temperature for my body to elevate. And often in these types of stress reactions, we're not even aware that we're doing this to ourselves. We're lost in the story of our stress And it's not as if somebody's sitting next to us, threatening us, and ordering us to grasp tightly on the steering wheel, to breathe more rapidly, more irregularly, forcing our heart rate and blood pressure and temperature to elevate. We are doing this to ourselves. Where mindfulness comes in as a strategic um, place to help shift this cycle, if I had an eraser here and this worked, that'd be nice, but I don't, but... The equation shifts. So the equation of unawareness, disconnection, out of balance. Once we become aware, we immediately become connected. It's like, again, that turning on the light of awareness. Now I can see where it is that I am. I can choose. um, I'm I'm back again. And then I see that I am out of balance. I'm grasping tightly and breathing rapidly and irregularly. And so now that I'm aware again, it seems so simple. Now that I'm aware, I can release the grip. It's that simple. Yet a moment earlier, when I didn't know I was doing it, it was not simple at all. I was lost in that story. I was in the place of reactivity. But once I become aware and connected, I can begin to stabilize again. I can begin to release the tightness of my hand on the steering wheel. I can begin to soften my body. I can begin to do some mindful breathing right in the middle of the highway there. And I can begin to regulate my breath, and gradually my body comes into balance. And so this is a very simplistic but very wise and simple illustration and an equation. When we, have more, when we have awareness, that brings us into a place of connection. Even if I'm feeling disconnected, if, I'm being, if I become aware that I'm disconnected, I'm actually connected. At least I know I'm disconnected. The moment prior, I didn't even know that. I was just lost. But when we're aware, we become connected when we become connected, we can begin to come back into balance. This is, very, this is why mindfulness plays such a strategic role in managing our stress and challenges of life. Again, it's giving us more resources, more options. And so we speak about this big difference between Reactivity that is often fueled by these old unconscious <coughs> habitual patterns. These are part of our narratives, our stories, our ways of reacting. And so we begin, we enter into this mindless type of reactivity, but when we become aware, we can begin to respond. So, a big difference between reactivity and responding reactivity being associated with patterns, conditions, and responding that there's options, there's choices. There's a uh, wonderful short teaching poem that I'll um, say to you, and then we'll shift with Steve. It's called Autobiography in Five Short Chapters by Patricia Nelson. Oh, you already read that, okay. Then um, you know about walking down another street. And so that's that's and I love that option because we can get so habituated in that chapter three. You know, I walk down the street again. I'm in. I fell in the hole again. It becomes again and again this type of process of habituation. But if we turn on the lights of awareness, we begin to recognize the habituation. We can begin to discover other options, other ways, other possibilities. And this is, I think, very encouraging for us. And it challenges us. This type of practice challenges us to to become aware of our own perceptions of how we see things because we can get so lost in how we see things only in a certain way that we don't see any other way. And um, part of our practice with perception is to be open to seeing from another perspective, to challenge ourselves. For example, if Steve and I just switch seats, just him and I switching seats, it shifts the whole perception of the room. If I got up and I started going down the other side, and talking to you from there, since I'm at this moment at the center of the focus here, because I'm talking, everybody would be turning in the chairs. Like There's so many different ways. There's a hundred different ways to see this room. If each of you just got up and changed your seat one spot or moved back, all of a sudden the room looks different. There's so many possibilities of seeing things, and yet we can get so stuck and habituated in seeing only one way that we don't see any other way. There's a story of a physical therapist, I don't think you told this one, and um, had a knee problem and went to a physical therapist. And after many weeks, the patient started getting better, walking fine. And one day they um, had a session and it was lunchtime, so the patient left. And just a few moments later, the physical therapist went out to get a sandwich and happened to see his patient across the street walking with somebody. and And the person was like all kind of bent over again, like the the initial time that they first met, some months earlier. And the patient came back another time and the physical therapist said, I am dumbfounded. I mean, you've been improving and this last session you walked out totally fine and just a few minutes later I saw you going down the street with somebody else and you were all bent over like initially when I met you, like what's going on here? And the patient said, well, you know, I was walking with one of my family members and nobody would recognize me any other way. Sometimes that's the way things are. So our perception of how we see things or how we want to be seen. And so I think, again, this aspect of mindfulness is offering us new options, new possibilities to seeing things from a different perspective. And even if we don't know what that perspective is, if we are open to seeing from another perspective, possibility can happen, so I want to kind of in some way haunt. We kind of haunt our MB, our people in our MBSR classes. Haunt them is your because everyone comes in with their particular challenge, which is definitely there. But how can we offer this possibility to be able to see it from a different perspective? That I can begin to approach working with it from perhaps a, a more skillful or a wiser, a healthier perspective. To be open to that.
2: Again, we're back to responding rather than reacting. And stop practice. Well, taking this uh, even farther, things that Bob's talking about have uh, their correlates in our body's physiology. And uh, one one way of saying it is that wherever a thought goes, a chemical goes. Wherever a thought goes, a chemical goes. And... uh, and, of course, we, we know. We've we got all these neurotransmitters. We, we've we got these incredible systems of about stop and go. We've we got the adrenaline and the thyroid and all, all these things that are just dumping chemicals into our bodies. Freak, when we get angry, we've got those chemicals going on. Well, we do this long enough and the body starts to change and be, becomes more familiar with these chemicals and we start... Uh, changing in many ways. Uh, One of those interesting changes is in the brain. And that's where some of the most fascinating research has been found in the last decade and longer uh, studying the human brain in terms of uh, how does mindfulness change the brain? Now, up to, oh, maybe eight, nine years ago, We could rely upon self-report measures in terms of people saying, I'm not as anxious anymore, I'm not as depressed, I don't have as much pain, the pain is diminished. But it turns out the self-report measures aren't nearly as uh, impactful as when we have biological evidence. And we can get biological evidence when we start looking at the human brain. The brain changes in relation to how we use it. This is called neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. We cultivate and create the brains that we've got by our way of looking at things about the emotional states we hang out in. and, uh, and It changes dramatically. I, I had an incident that happened in my life at the beginning of January where uh, I passed out and they put me in a hospital and they put me through all these brain scans, everything they could throw at me and I don't know, I think they're also looking to make a lot of money off of brain scans. But There's $55,000 on brain scans, and I want to thank God for Medicare. And, and the neurologist came back in the room and he says, well, You know, there's nothing wrong with your brain. And uh, one thing is interesting, though, the side, my wife is listening, and said, The side of your brain, the insula that has to do with uh, anger and fear, is much smaller than almost everybody else's. My wife going, yep, that's Steve. <laughs> but the, and so she has to do that for our family. She does pretty good. And anger and fear. Anger and I'm over here all calm and peaceful. And he said, that side of your brain has actually grown, the insula has grown quite robust. So the brain changes in relation to how you use it. And, and it's a very dramatic ways. So you get uh, eight weeks of mindfulness training while well, Give you more gray matter on your brain. Well, this is handy. Uh, we see as the gray matter diminishing, we're also seeing uh, development of more and more dementia and poor and poor memory. And the more that gray matter improves and gets thicker up there, well, that's a good thing. We want to see that big old fat gray matter up there on top of our fat brain. And, and a few other things. Bob's talking about the narrative. Well, the narrative that we're engaged in isn't accidental. A guy named Norm Farb up in Toronto studying the human brain, trying to figure out where's the self in the human brain. And he studied, studied and studied. He found a network where the self is in all human brains. And he called it the narrative-based self-referencing network. And within this particular network is the story of me. My story. My mom, my dad, what happened to me, my geekiness, my gookiness my my inadequacies my 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 being messed up, and all, all that narrative you know my my shames, all of that is part of the narrative and, and that all fits within the narrative based self referencing network of the brain, very particular areas now, involves right prefrontal lobe that insula amygdala a few other places and and that is a source of uh, also all rumination. All rumination. So that's the ruminative part of the brain. And the story of me part of the brain. Uh, now we're also seeing the one thing they can find in studying the brain to try to figure out wait, wait, what the, that would be the big prize. How, how can we study the brain and determine this diagnosis? And is it bipolar or is it just simple depression? Or is it just anxiety? And, well, they haven't nailed that down yet, but they have nailed down that Every one of these things, anxiety, depression, PTSD, OCD, all have this one thing in common. That's rumination. Rumination. What's that? What's rumination? Chewing the cut. Chewing, it is chewing the cut. It's actually... A, and I have a rancher friend. What? Obsession. Obsession. Going over it again and again and again. And the... Uh, my, my rancher client told me some years ago, he said, that means that they've chewed all the food and they've got it to the first stomach and it mixes with that juice and they have to lay down and throw it up in their mouth and chew it again before it gets to the second stomach. And he says, not even the most seasoned of, of ranchers can get near it. It stinks to high heaven. And so I think, I, I think of it as stinking thinking. And and that's how we perpetuate and create anxiety, depression. Rumination means that I am going over the same thing again and again and again. Pretty hard to get out of, particularly at night. If you're stupid enough to watch the news. (laughs) Again. (laughs) For the fourth time that day. And, and so uh, there it's going. And it, so it is a generator of, uh, of rumination. That, is, that is, uh, comes with the, comes with the uh, brain, with the body at birth. It's a default network of the human body. Everybody has it. It grows all by itself with the life. However, he also found another part of the human brain. And he, he labeled it the narrative-based self-referencing network. And it doesn't just come with the package. It is something that we have to cultivate. The immediacy-based self-referencing network only becomes developed in mindfulness practices. And the brain changes dramatically. We can see then the here-and-now self. Well, this is handy because if I'm in this part of the brain, I'm not ruminating, I'm not creating, exacerbating anxiety, depression, and all the rest of these things. The stories about me and my life, my history, my failures, my personality, all these things. Are, I'm in here now, here and now, here now. So that's self not identifying with this thing. And uh, this changes dramatically in just eight weeks of mindfulness training. Sorry, what is that again? It is called the immediacy-based self-referencing network. That's where the year-now self is. And it, that only grows by development. It doesn't come with a package. We have to put energy into it, and we put energy into it by just what you guys have been doing: mindfulness practices. And then we stop feeding the narratives, we stop feeding the stuff that creates anxiety and depression. It falls away all by itself. Pretty handy. And these are, these are dramatic changes that happen in the brain just with eight weeks of mindfulness training so it's pretty fun stuff going online looking at the brains and seeing how that is. there it is and, and it's just like yep uh, now it's no longer self-report measures we can see when somebody is in the, the narrative or in the present and uh, the more we're here, the less we're caught in the narrative. So, um, oh, a little bit about brain physiology. Uh, and there's, it's the, uh, research is phenomenal, some of the world's greatest neuro researchers are in this game, study of mindfulness in the brain, and also about mental illnesses, as they call now, they used to be mental conditions. But uh, if you want to go online and take a look, I think you'll find a lot of that very, inc- very very interesting. Look under Richard Davidson, Richie Davidson, He's doing a lot of that. So, um, don't want to overdo it. Yeah. Let's shift to a practice. Yes? Okay. Oh, yes, use the mic. Yeah.
3: Um,
4: so, yeah, I appreciate that you're talking about rumination because that's something I've struggled with most of my life, and I think that's actually what probably caused my illness and depression and everything I struggle with, but what i 'm currently struggling with is I, I'm, I find myself stuck in rumination over past rumination, so like I get mad at myself for like spending twenty three years of my life ruminating, and i'm like wow it's so it's so simple like why could I have not just figured this out earlier and that's one of my biggest um, things I'm working on and really still kind of holding anger towards myself I'm wondering if you have any wise words to say about that
2: forgive yourself forgive yourself again forgive yourself again forgive yourself again forgive yourself again self forgiveness self compassion these are very real practices and you can do it very deliberately I forgive myself for the injuries I've caused myself both knowingly and unknowingly, out of greed, out of fear, out of anger, out of delusion, I forgive myself. And you put more energy into the forgiving; the rest of it falls away by itself. So let's shift to practice now, rather than get going too far with too many questions. And uh, maybe um, you, you learn more through the practice itself than all our words about.
0: Mm. Yeah. And it is good medicine to reconcile. And then perhaps um, everything that we've done in our life has led us up into this moment and we can look back in the rearview mirror with maybe more hindsight wisdom and offer compassion to that part of us that ruminated or whatever it is that we've done that we're hard on ourselves with. So yeah, let's get into the practice and... Um, you know, all of this research, and we can you know, pontificate on the research, but it's all about people doing practice. And um, there's nothing like the practice. There's actually a teaching story of a professor of swimology. Wrote a dissertation on swimming, knew everything about swimming. And one day they were out in a boat and it hit a rock and the boat was going down and the captain said, Professor, you've got to swim to the shore. And the professor said, "Swim! I don't know how to swim. I only know how to talk about swimming." <laughs> so, let's get into the water. I can remember telling my old meditation teacher about all these things that the, can happen in meditation, and he said, "That's good. Go back to your, go back to your practice now." And just to say on the other side. Very grateful for John Kabat Richie Davidson, and many other researchers that this is perhaps why we're here now and we're having this conversation and this practice because of all of the evidence based research, and there's more to come. And uh, that helped to uh, this evidence based research is uh, helping to give credibility to these ancient practices of the heart. And so this research is very important. That's why we see the exponential growth of mindfulness around the world. And to be honest, having uh, traveled a lot of the world teaching mindfulness to many people, many teacher trainings. So I also work for the Center for Mindfulness at UMass Medical Center as a trainer, teacher trainer. And it gives me hope. It gives me hope that many people that I meet are wanting to bring the practices of mindfulness and heartfulness into their country and to share with their people. I think this world needs as much as we can with as much mindfulness and heartfulness. I don't want to be naive. There's a lot to be done, but as much as we can bring more awareness and love into the world, this is a good thing. And it's actually interesting in the Chinese uh, character, in Mandarin, the word for mindfulness, actually, that one word has two aspects. It's it's awareness and love. They're both in this. That's the definition of mindfulness. It is, and actually, so we could almost call it like a kind attention or heartfulness or kindfulness. Built right into the word mindfulness is the qualities of compassion, love. So coming to the breath in and the breath out, and perhaps also if you need to readjust your posture at first, being in a posture that you can feel awake, it's after lunch, and comfortable. So find that balance between being comfortable and awake, and if any of you are feeling really tired, you can certainly stand. Standing is totally fine. So in making that intention to be awake, to be comfortable. And of course, if you need to shift your position while we're sitting for this next 25 minutes, 30 minutes or so, you're welcome to do so and just
1: to do that mindfully as well. You know, sometimes people ask, Can I move when I meditate? And you know, you can play
0: with it, you can ride the waves of the sensation, or you can mindfully move. So listen to the wisdom of your own body, mind, and heart. And for now, just bringing awareness to the breath and being mindful of breathing in and out. Breathing normally, breathing naturally, being present.
1: And if it's helpful, you can kind of pinpoint
0: It may take a little time on where you feel your own breath to be most prominent and distinct. Some may feel the breath more prominently in the tip of the nose or the inner nostrils or the upper lip. Others may feel the breath more in the chest or the belly or other places in the body. Or perhaps even the sense of the whole body organism unified as it breathes in, feeling the sense of expansion, on the inhalation, and the contraction, the falling on the exhalation. Breathing normally, breathing naturally, letting your place, you may need to experiment a bit, wherever you feel your own breath to be prominent and distinct, being aware of it coming in and going out. It's also just fair to say that it's helpful sometimes as well to offer options, particularly if the breath does not feel like a suitable object for you to bring mindfulness to. You're welcome to be with the different sounds in the room or different physical sensations, whatever prominent and distinct. One of these
1: objects you can use as a way to anchor it to become present. As you
0: experience the breath as it comes in and goes out, and again, it's this experience. You're not trying to think about it or imagine it, imagine it. But to experience it directly, the the awareness as you're breathing in, you're knowing that you're breathing in, direct experience, and as you're breathing out, you're knowing that you're breathing out. And just like the waves of the seas ebb and flow, this breath is also teachings. Us about the nature of change or the sounds that we might be listening to or the sensations that are felt they're coming and they're going being present and of course there will be times that our minds will wander off this is normal and natural once you recognize that you've wandered off you're welcome to acknowledge wherever you wandered off to and then returning back the present moment with the breath in, the breath out, or another option as you like. Being
1: present. And just to offer some variation for those
0: with the mindfulness of breathing, let's make a shift to different sensations in the body. We explored this a little bit with the body scan, or a big bit. (laughs) But in this practice of the mindfulness of sensations, you don't have to start with the left foot and work your way up. Just be aware of whatever sensation is prominent and distinct. It could be an itch on the side of the upper right arm in one moment and a tingle on the top of the head in the next. This body is a dynamic organism filled with its sensory receptors, so many different sensations rising and passing. Just like the breath is coming and going, with its inhale and its exhale, the different sensations of the body are also in a state of change. Itches and aches and tingles, warmth, coolness, lightness, heaviness, dryness, wetness, a wide range of sensory experience, being mindful of sensations as they
1: come and go, being present. And just gently shifting as
0: we explore with our direct experience, the sense of sound, hearing meditation. Sounds in the room, or perhaps at times outside of the room. Or perhaps internal sounds, sounds in the body. Sound of the breath, heartbeat, pulses, perhaps ringings in the ears, listening to sounds as they arise and pass away, just like the sensations have been changing, the breath is ebbing and flowing, listening to sounds and hearing how they change. Hearing meditation, a very useful practice in a
1: world full of sound, hearing And now letting our
0: mindfulness expand and broaden to whatever's present. Of course, we know there's been flurries of different thoughts that have arisen as well, and we may come to experience how they are coming and going, just like the sensations, the sounds, the breath. And so you can reside in a little bit of more of an open awareness that would include also thoughts and emotions, and just sitting in the now and just experiencing this dynamic change within this body and mind organism. It appears that we're sitting so still, but our senses are still wired to its stimuli, and the mind, of course, interacts with them and has its own thoughts and emotions as well. So sitting in the now and just experiencing whatever's prominent. Indistinct. We can't take it all in at once. That will be an overload. But perhaps just in the right moment, a sound. Or another moment, there's a bunch of thoughts or emotions. Yet in another moment, there may be some physical sensations that are rising to be more prominent. Sort of like a background and foreground. Some things from the background begin to come into the foreground. And whatever is in the foreground, that's your practice. Sounds or at other moments, sensations or thoughts or emotions. If it seems at some point there's not much that's here, you're welcome to just rest with the awareness of the breath in and the breath out and experiencing this nature of change within the breath. Kind of opening up awareness to just be present with whatever's here as it comes and goes. Of course, if you're getting lost, confused, not sure, know what to do, Again, that's a good point to then come back to one object, such as the breath, as a way to stabilize. This open type of awareness begins to reveal this dynamic nature of change that happens with the body and mind. The teachings of change are informing us to learn perhaps how to live life by going with the flow rather than fighting it, rejecting it, Resisting it. So being present, sitting in the now, in open awareness. No need to reject anything without grasping, without aversion. Opening to what's here.
1: Being present as it comes and goes. So let us all, just for this last few moments, come
0: back to the breath. And just breathing in and breathing out and ring the bell in just a few moments. The breath can help to um, stabilize and yet teach us so much about this changing nature of things, how to settle. Pointing us to
1: help to see more clearly into things.
0: Thank you so much, and gently wiggling uh, the fingers and toes, and maybe joining with me, uh, a mindful join into getting our body into a standing position. So just mindfully getting ourselves up. going to do a little bit of some walking meditation. And once we do a few steps together, you're welcome to go outside. It's so beautiful out here. Do about 20, 25 minutes. We'll ring a gong to bring you back. And there's a couple of different ways to do walking practice. And I think for now, in the spirit of wanting to help build our concentration and awareness, we'll do a more what sometimes they call like a narrow gauge or a laser beam. And this particular practice is really paying close attention to the operation of walking. In order to walk, of course, you have to shift onto one leg, which you're welcome to do now. And then you lift the other foot up and move it forward and place it down. And this is the shifting of the body weight again. And then this is the lifting and the moving and the placing. So just taking a few steps mindfully... Shifting, lifting, moving and placing. And coming to that end point, listening to the body, it will inform you whether it wants to turn to the right or the left and mindfully turn, being aware of turning as you turn. And then walking back mindfully to where you started. Shifting of the weight, lifting up of the foot, the moving it forward, and the placing of it down. So, of course, most of the time in our lives, when we walk, we're going from point A to point B. Naturally so. In walking meditation, it's all point A. (laughs) Every step is arriving into the present moment. And we're really beginning to bring mindful awareness to the actual mechanics, the function of walking, the shifting, the lifting, the moving, and the placing, and to be mindful of each step as a walking practice. And um, we'll do this in silence. And feel free. You don't even have to have much eye contact with one another or feel obligated for that. If you do, it no problem Enjoy. And if a person doesn't look at you, may you not be offended. They're just wanting to stay more inwards. And we'll just practice a little bit of walking meditation. And just so you know, the other form uh, for future reference is of a walking of, that's more in our normal pace, and we're walking and connecting with our environment. It's also a nice way to walk, uh, particularly in beautiful areas like we are now. But maybe in some ways we can bring these both together. As you're walking, if you get yourself... Um, Seeing a flower, then you know, pause for a moment. To just see that flower. Or if You see the wind moving the grasses <coughs> in that moment. Just letting yourself see the wind moving in the grasses. And then just come back to the lifting and the moving and the placing. So you can kind of bring them together because it's an extraordinary natural environment here. So you can uh, practice both if you like. But, uh, but we're trying to train ourselves as well to be aware of each step Turning, walking back to where you started. So you might want to find a place where you can walk, you know, three or four or five lengths of your body, or maybe a little bit more, or a little bit less, as you so fit, see fit. And just walking back and forth. And and this is a practice that can help build our concentration and our awareness at the same time. So have a, a nice walk, and we'll ring a bell to call you back, probably in about twenty minutes or so. And I'd like to suggest again that we do this in silence and feel free to not have to look at anyone. If you do, no problem. And walking, may you enjoy it.
1: So, taking your seat with the intention of
2: presence in the body, we're going to shift to a stillness meditation again. Sitting practice. Breath is always coming, always going. All you have to do is turn your attention to the breath as it comes and goes. And as you're feeling it come in and feeling it go out, you're present. That's what we're about, being present. In this practice, it's being present with the breath. Breathing normally, naturally, allowing your body to breathe you, really. But as you're breathing in, know you're breathing in. As you're breathing out, knowing you're breathing out. The work is being present in each moment, within each breath. In, in each breath out. Understanding the best way to get somewhere is to stop trying to get anywhere at all but here. Remember these intentions, sitting with loving kindness, non-judging, non-striving. Sitting in self-compassion.
1: Being present.
2: Breathing in, knowing you're breathing in. Breathing out, knowing you're breathing out.
1: This is a concentration
2: meditation, concentration and breath as it comes in and waiting and feeling and noticing when your body wishes to release it, when your body wishes to breathe in again, staying with this for just a little while longer where what it's like to be breathed and to be present for these
1: sensations of breathing 15 ta- now, or a
2: non concentration practice that's more broad and fluid, of being present in choiceless awareness. So, not choosing any object such as sound or sensations or the breath, but for one intention to be aware within this awareness opening up to something far broader than sensations or sounds or the breath. And this being the most fluid of mindfulness practices, it's easy to get lost and lose the moment. And when you do, you may simply return to breath for a few breaths and see if you might expand again once more wide open choiceless
1: awareness Shifting now back to mindfulness of breathing.
2: Being present for the sensations of the breath as they come in. And go
1: out. In each one of these moments in each of these practices you're
2: having an opportunity to be with yourself in a way that most of us usually are in a way that's kind and forgiving and compassionate and even more so loving, Carl Jung has a, another reading that may give us a means of closure here. In which he says that I give to the poor, that I feed the hungry, that I forgive an insult. These are all great virtues. These are all great virtues. But what if I should discover that the poorest of the poor and the hungriest of the hunger and the worst of offenders are all within me, that I am The enemy that must be loved, and I stand in need of the alms of my own blessings, that I stand in the need of the alms of my own blessings.
1: What then?
2: Thank you very much. We're going to shift to small group discussions for a little bit. For about small group two or three. Share about what you've just been experiencing, discovering, struggling with. Ring the bell in a little while bring us back to a larger group.
5: You should I have I stopped the
0: grill
5: too tight. <laughs> sitting there just out of breath I was in total records every got to buy and you can to identify yourself. They said, you is it's a of flower. He said, sure, we have no idea you're out there, so why didn't you identify yourself? My oh God, we're so sorry, sir. Did you have any time to brand to I have any talk that we're all you have to talk to me to this shirt? You're so sorry. So... I don't <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so we're so sorry, so sorry. So long. Sorry, it's not going to didn't notice that i beat feed my pants. She's... 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 She's admirable. She's, average. she's average. She is, uh, <laughs> no the I could order it, yeah.
0: So, So Mrs. Flowers will go teach that
5: class? Like, she'll she'll, well, she'll She did wonderful. Like, people loved her. How many of you signed up? A couple of people. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know, I wouldn't have to do another one to produce a, <laughs> <Okay>. oh. <laughs> well, well, a couple. Nice, this is a nice thing, but I mean, it's different from the architecture. Yeah. 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 I, the architecture.
0: Okay. I like the architecture. <laughs> this is nice. It is not nice. just different.
5: I guess you <laughs> <laughs> so, you okay. love the abuse of um, I'll tell you your, your I think it's that nice I think it's actually more <laughs> It's nice. I think i out i no, yeah, it's lucky. the find the Oh, the great I've been putting out a nature cam in my yard. Oh, wow. Yeah. We've got, oh, that have been getting out my yard. I've the getting out of That is so funny. I'm so And online? Yeah, I all night yeah. how do you get it does have So I have one of them, which is Dan, He's going to get of the office so the tree. He gets up on his legs and He walks like a man on legs. one two yards, the uh, other, so oh, reaching up the
0: Oh, yeah, yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. That's funny. I had a brother
0: in
5: Michigan. a young man. He He a It yeah. 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 very sweet very to, me, it to it's the most I took out the and I said, the you don't know. Don't know. Yeah. So, oh, I just like lobster. <laughs> we got yeah. a yeah. herd of deer going through there every night. That's mountain my food. Right. That's on the cats and bark here. The ring stuff that's for about thirty five, forty five. They, they have a the free. And it was pretty, uh, clever and, uh, weather. they murdered chickens. They're doing well. They're doing, you know, to so all these meetings, very satisfied. I've never got it. I love it. it, it is
0: for
2: mm-hmm. practice in a resource you can go back and forth. And then... Uh, a brief meta? Yeah, well, yeah. find out if there's any closing
5: announcements. Do we have any closing announcements? Yeah. Yeah,
0: just like resources. What do we ask for about? It. Oh, sorry,
5: sorry. What that again? Closing
0: announcements. No, I don't think there's any closing announcements. Other than we can just say... Mm-hmm look look on the tables for upcoming yeah. programs so you can talk about our books and CDs. And,
5: and our websites things. and you can order I and, think and in, order. I think
0: that's in I think that's in the hand.
5: Thank thing. you.
0: So thanking your um, compadres and we'll expand from the small group into the large group. So there'll be a, a little bit of time for any comments about the practices of the sitting meditation just as a context. Um, this morning you were introduced to the body scan which is one of the primary meditation practices in mindfulness-based stress reduction and then In the afternoon, you were introduced to the sitting meditation, which is another primary practice. Generally speaking, the first month is with the body scan, the second month with the sitting meditation. And of course, introduced to uh, walking meditation. And and early this morning, you also did some yoga. So these are the primary uh, meditation practices in MBSR. And it's important to point out, just to understand within this eight-week Class that these various presentational themes like uh, mindfulness and uh, reactivity versus responding. Actually, John Kabat-Zinn calls the responding a mindfulness-mediated stress response. That when we become aware, we can have more options to choose a more wiser or skillful response rather than old ways of old patterns of reactivity. We of course also explore perception bringing mindfulness into interpersonal communication, and so forth. But we want to just kind of open up some time now for any comments from these practices this afternoon or this morning or questions. And maybe at first I'd like to just suggest, can we, let's maybe share about from our practice. Uh, and then if there's broader questions, we can you know, address those a little bit later. But just uh, from these practices, um, any learnings, any discoveries, any challenges, what well, was your experience? So we'll have the mics go around again and I'd love to hear from you.
2: Yes, I have one question. My name is Hubert. You talked this morning about ruminating, and sometimes I'm very good at that. And you mentioned that if you, when you ruminate, if you find out, if you find the awareness of that, uh, it's a good thing. However, in some subjects, even though I'm aware that I'm ruminating, I cannot find
5: that pause. Any? Ruminating, ruminating.
2: I can be aware, but not to find the pause, depending on the subject of my rumination. Thank you. You know what? uh, If um, we were to take a little bit closer look at that research, when we talk about cause, about the narrative-based self-referencing network of the brain, it's the cause. It's what it does. It ruminates. It goes over things again and again and again, particularly those things that are disturbing, particularly those things that are scary, that have to do with some kind of upset. And and so the, it can be enough to recognize here's a here's a, a adequate cause where we're, if we're not engaged with some kind of effort to get rid of something, or or discard something, or push it away, or cut it off, which was the whole, whole work of a of a what were they doing that they were they were uh, uh, doing the. Uh, removing the front part of your brain back in those days, lobotomies. (laughs) But but no, it's just enough to recognize it and to extricate yourself from it again and again and again. And uh, causation can get you involved with a whole other endeavor when really all you want is to be free of the rumination. Make sense?
4: Can you go. talk about how to implement this in a in a daily routine? So, like for example, a work day, like what mm-hmm. which of these four you know, practices you do in the morning, how you implement it at work, mm-hmm. evening, so on. So, like in a, in a regular yeah. daily routine.
0: Yeah, that's a very important question, and we we're going to share a little bit more about that too with some resources. But yeah, in many ways, we want to help support mindfulness becoming a way of life, and. Perhaps it first begins with our intention. And if our intention is that we feel that this practice of being present is helpful, then that will help guide us to um, develop ways to integrate it into our lives. And, you know, we speak about mindfulness in formal practices where we may sit still or we can even practice lying down or standing up, but it's more of a formal practice like with the breath or the body scan or the sitting meditation meditation. And there's varying lengths that you could do that in depending on the time that you have. You could do a full 45 minute or a 30 or a 15 minute There's guided meditation practices out there, audio downloads that you could use for that type of thing. Or once you begin to know it for yourself, you can determine what amount of time you have and and practice in that way course, is also bringing our mindfulness into our day-to-day activities. So we're also trying to encourage ourselves to be more attentive during the day when somebody's speaking. Our practice might be to first listen and to really take in what's being said and being mindful of potentially beginning to react rather than to respond. So accompanying our mindfulness in our day-to-day activities is good from brushing our teeth, washing the dishes, sweeping the floors, and so forth. And, um, you know, sometimes working with these practices of, uh, I have a friend of mine on her computer, every hour she's got it programmed, the word stop comes on the computer, and that reminds her in that moment, if she actually pays attention to it, to stop, to take a breath, to observe, and proceed. And So we can develop skills and ways to remind ourselves to be mindful we can maybe make an intention every time I put my hand on a door handle, that's a mindfulness spell to be present. Every time the first food that I take in uh, for my lunch is a time to be present. So we can develop many different ways of bringing our mindfulness in. But I, I coming, coming back to intention, I think this is really the most important. This drives... Um, how our practice will grow and so if there's an intention for example with a like a deep yearning commitment to want to see more clearly where one gets stuck and caught in reactivity if that's a very strong determination intention then we begin to carry that into all of our activities of day-to-day living that the meditation hall actually becomes our life and what comes up in our life is our practice because we're wanting to pay attention on purpose because we want to discover where we get caught, where we're rasping on, where we're pushing away, where we're not seeing clearly. And then the practice begins to weave into our life. And again, there may be times that it's helpful to do more. Maybe when I get home from work, I will, uh, before I do anything else, I'll lie on my bed and do a body scan. Other times I might do a sitting meditation. If you take a mindfulness-based stress reduction class, we have a certain curriculum, and so we work for the body scan for one month, and the second month, the sitting meditation, and after that, with the graduates, we really want to support them to make the practice their own. And it's very important to perhaps uh, help support the practices to practice with others. Find a meditation group so you have community to support oneself in practice. So that's quite a bit. But I think that intentionality is important. Intention begins to shape our doing. And so if we're really clear, like, I want to be present. I want to be here. I want to be here. I want to have a before-death experience. A BDE. (laughs) An in-the-body experience and a before-death experience. (laughs) You might even choose the longest line in
2: Costco and there you are just present in line or I might be happy when you come across the longest flight in town Just like, oh I don't have to do anything but sit here and breathe and it's, it's nice
4: I have a, a question I'm I'm not ready for the long line at Costco by the way I'm <laughs> not quite there yet in my practice um <laughs> With regards to the, to the body scan, which is what I have the hardest time with, of all the practices that we've talked about today and in my life, why is that a, such a feature of the program? And I don't ask that challengingly, just ask this question. And, and is, there, is there a reason that that particular form of attention is, is, there? is there? Is there a particular benefit to that, and, I, and again, I ask for the very selfish reason. It's the one I struggle with the most, and maybe that says something very important there. I don't know. But I just wondered about the origin of that.
2: Will you take that one?
0: Sure. You know, I think that, you know, and it would be great to have John cabot in here to explain that, but I've heard him talk about this in... You know, I, I think there was a, a few different primary reasons. And one was, the un, you know, his own sort of understanding of, at times, how disconnected one can be from their body. And so the sense of reconnecting with the body. And so I felt that the body scan was very useful at first. And also, as a practice, to begin to cultivate two different types of qualities. One, a sense of uh, stabilization perhaps relaxation but also the practices as we go into the body um, it can evoke our life again I think I quoted earlier from Martha Elliott: our history is here inside our body our body is our storehouse of all of our learnings thoughts and experiences and so when we go into the the body scan it will uh, may at times bring up different feelings thoughts emotions about our lives and so and these are the very thoughts, feelings, and emotions that are often causing our stress because they're not yet completed and integrated and understood. And so perhaps when these things come up, we're also learning how to begin to acknowledge the challenges that we're living with, the fears, the pain, the sadness. And it's um, as we begin to acknowledge how things are rather than putting our energy into resisting them, perhaps we begin to develop a wiser relationship, a way of, as John Kabat Zinn. Um, There's a beautiful definition of healing. It's the coming into terms with the way things are, with a greater sense of wisdom and compassion. And so um, the body scan, you know, and sometimes he'll say this it's it's not for the faint of heart, and particularly if we've had trauma in our bodies or if we've had. Uncomfortable relationships with our bodies, and so we want to attend to this with great care. And there could be times where maybe this prescriptively is not the most uh, important practice to begin with. And there's been times in some of my classes that maybe you know for a particular individual, being with the mindfulness of breathing is is preferable, and beginning to dip your toes into the water, if you will, and reconnecting with ourselves and getting some acclimation, and then slowly beginning to work with what's there. so um, But I find that it's a, a very important practice to connect with our bodies, with our thoughts and emotions. It's all there. And we want to approach that gently. We Acknowledging what's there. Um, we're developing a kind, like learning how to do our practice with kind attention rather than with uh, judgment and aggression. So um, I invite... Uh, that possibility. And of course, some people don't feel anything or some people feel as if they're doing the body scan. This is the most boring thing in the world. Actually, I wonder if anyone's ever died of boredom doing a body scan. And so, but then with our practices, like, oh, boredom's arising? Ah, I haven't, I, one of the qualities about mindfulness is bringing in and invoking in the qualities of investigation and curiosity. So, we'd actually want to inspire and invite someone to get curious. Like, what actually does it feel like when you're bored? What arises physically, mentally, and emotionally? Approach it as a scientist. And wow, actually, boredom can get actually kind of interesting. Are you bored anymore? No, not at all. This is fascinating. I never knew. I never knew what it was like to crawl out of my skin. But, but in that sense, I'm beginning to actually develop a relationship where I'm beginning to work with it. I'm beginning to have a, a sense of connection with it, where formally I'm constantly just turning the channel because I don't want to be here. I don't want to feel what's here.
2: And, and if I might add on to that, Please. we got in a mindfulness-based stress reduction program. Now, remember, the people that are coming in here are coming in with many, many physical problems. Uh, they're coming in with heart disease and cancer. They're coming in with irritable bowel syndrome. They're coming in with fibrobiology. They're coming in with... A every host of stress-related illness you can imagine, and they're left with a, a message from a physician somewhere that uh, is saying, well, you know, you're, you're, this is all medicine can do for you. And you're going to have to find ways to help yourself. And, and, and it's, it's not so easy when you start to look, like, what, what is my role in this? And I read a book uh, two years ago. I liked it very much. It was Juno. Junot. And it's, I am is his name. And it's when the body says no. When the body says no. And one thing happens when you really start listening to your body, it really does communicate with you. And it's pretty neat to have a relationship with it at that stage before you've ignored it long enough that it actually gets mad at you and does something. Like, you're going to pay attention to me or not and uh so, so many of us guys, particularly were working in construction, working in other things where we have to use our hands, men to work sometimes we 'll just we'll use our hands for hammers and, and our bodies after a while, start complaining and to listen to this body and honor what it has to say could be a great big change in orientation than pushing it to do. Whatever you expect it to do, you know. Stay at the computer even though you've had to pee for the last half hour. When when it's time to go to bed, go to bed. When it's time to stop eating, stop eating. When it's time to get these things, are pretty useful to listen to because after a while, your body rebels if you're not listening
6: to it. I have a question does the idea of being present and being mindful change according to maybe the meditation that you're participating in for example when we had a silent meditation uh, with our eyes closed i'm i'm trying to keep my 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 thoughts are more muted whereas when we were on the walking meditation there were things of nature and whatnot that got me thinking positive thoughts or put me in a better mood but it was somewhat cerebral versus what I'm experiencing when I'm lying down and with my eyes closed.
2: Well You know, in a walking meditation, it's not necessarily, sometimes we'll have a, what we call a large-gauge practice where we're asking people to really open up to all the things you're seeing around you in nature, the flower, uh, pay close attention to the hornets and things like this. But... Uh, In walking meditation, the primary object of practice will really be the soles of the feet and the touching of the foot to the earth and maybe the sensing when it's time to lift up the other foot and its placement. So we're not really walking to get somewhere or to go on a nature walk to take in everything, though that can very well be and is a form of mindfulness practice. But for the most part, at a more narrow gauge, we're looking just to be it, be present with the sensation of the foot touching the earth as a, a way of practice. And, and of course, we didn't make any of this evident when we gave the instructions for this walking practice. So that really the object is sensations of the body as
6: you're walking. quick question so I'm thinking about what this gentleman said about um thinking being caught in the wheel you were saying to uh, to be aware just of that but it sounds as if we're trying to gain wisdom from sensation versus answering the question why Is that? do you get that question
0: mm-hmm. sometimes we've there's been many times where trying to solve something through trying to th- figure it out, analyzing it, and it often just creates more of a spin. And so what we're inviting is to, is to move into direct experience and to be present with what's here. And for many, that's a very uncomfortable, you have an uncomfortable emotion. I remember one time I had a, I had a conversation with someone on the phone and I was very, very angry. And um, and 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 then I had the opportunity fairly soon after that to meditate, and you know I tried to be with my breath, but anger was like 9.9 on the internal Richter scale, and so at a certain point I realized the breath was futile, and that I needed just to experience and feel the anger. It was heat and pulsating and rage and every now and again I'd go when I get done with this meditation I'm going to call this person up and really let them have it. Oop, come back, come, back to, come back to the breath, come back to the feeling. I was wandering off thinking and planning what I was going to do. So I just decided I need to just stay with that feeling and acknowledge the anger and in time unbeknownst to me the weather shifted and there was this deep deep feeling of sadness. And I was surprised, and I, but I just said, "I oh, have to just feel the sadness and I opened into the sadness and and just i didn 't try to figure it out and try to analyze it and Gradually, in time, it's almost as if the sadness and the anger just showed me like this feeling of it was a feeling what the call was about it was about I had a perception of being rejected, not being heard, not being understood, and it began to give illumination to this old wound that. I had carried for so many years of the feeling of not being seen that somehow that I'm looking for approval outside of myself to verify my worthwhileness. And so th- this was a very powerful insight uh, uh, that, that grew as I was willing to feel into the feelings. And so often we're inviting, stay in the direct experience of the feeling, whether it's physical or mental, and you know, we'll just be present and allow Mindfulness is not trying to necessarily create a positive thinking, a positive emotion. Because sometimes, as I just said, my meditation was sitting with rage. And my practice was to open to it, to acknowledge it, to be with it. And it revealed sadness. And then that sadness revealed some very important things about my heart.
6: I don't want to sound simple, but so what I think I'm understanding is that in the present moment when we are aware... Um, rationally it is more truthful than finding an answer in a moment that doesn't exist yet or has already
0: you know it, it's you, sometimes we as Rilke would say the poet sometimes we have to live into the question and then it gradually lives us into the answer but it, can we stay with direct experience but what often happens is Uh, There's an inclination to not stay with the feeling of anger because it's so uncomfortable or the feeling of sadness because it's so uncomfortable that we will bypass feeling that by trying to analyze or figure it out. And so we're working with trying not to bypass the feelings that we feel but to allow, to be curious, to open into them who knows what we'll discover is Hafiz, a Persian poet used to say that there's a ruby buried inside there who knows as we allow ourselves to feel into what's here what it might reveal to us what it might illuminate to us that we could never have figured out with our analyzing but it's like turning into what's there and for many of us it's counterintuitive we don't want to turn into the pain we want to get away from the pain we want to understand the pain so we don't have to feel painful and that's reasonable so it's almost counterintuitive, but for those that grew up in snow country, the only way you get out of a skid when you're driving, it seems counterintuitive, but you learn to turn into it. And that's what begins to help straighten it out. And I think there's a kin with the practice that we're learning to turn into the uncomfortable if we're feeling safe. I don't want to peel too macho here. It's very important that we feel safe and we're, and, and we're curious and we want to know. And so if, if those are in place, then could we open into that feeling? And it does feel counterintuitive. But there's uh, Jennifer Wellwood, a beautiful poet, says, Whatever you flee from, it will pursue you. Whatever you welcome will begin to transform you. So we're turning in. We're learning to turn in slowly. Put the toes in and out. To get acclimated. Open heart surgery. Very nice. And open brain surgery. What else is there? Please.
7: Yes, um, I'm actually hoping to get some practical help with uh, finding a tool for something that's been suggested here, which is a way to remind myself regularly during the day to um, step back and become aware and get out of the tunnel of my thoughts. And what I'm looking for would be some kind of app. They say there's an app for everything. I'm PC based. I don't have a Fitbit. Um, Something that will ring or whatever. I I have a couple things I do that, you know, remind me. Okay, go back. Um, Does anybody know of a PC app that will, you know, you can set it and say start at 8 a.m. and ding every 15 minutes or something like that? It would be very helpful.
0: Yeah. they're out there you, and I, I'd say ask a, a, a teenager or a 20 year old they'll, they'll tell you quickly <laughs> but how did we have that intentionality to be present so you can talk after it looks like you just made a nice connection there you go so how about any other questions or went, comments right there please
7: how do you break the cycle of rumination what tools are there <laughs>
2: Uh, well, it's, uh, we, we were talking about that earlier. One thing is to be aware of ruminating, be in the present moment aware of ruminating, non-identification. So that's the RAIN practice. Recognize, acknowledge, spend a few moments investigating it. Non-identification. It's not me. It's an old habit of mine that's stuck here. So the, the issue here is uh, interesting. You know, maybe I'll put it like this. Years ago, where I live uh, in a wilderness area in Northern California in the foothills got a, a wild river in front of me, and when it gets heavy rains, that really is great for kayaking and i 've done it a few times. well, one year, one of my neighbors was kayaking down, and there 's a waterfall near my house, and you just go flying off the waterfall, you get air and you keep going, and it 's really cool and, and he was getting ready to do that, but this time that 's not what happened at the bottom of the waterfall. It was a keeper hole, and this is the most deadly feature in a river. That's what kills most kayakers and um, and rafters. It sucks you down, and, and then you got to get back up, and you try to swim out, and it sucked him down. And he was doing that with his kayak. Then he finally could he threw out the kayak, and the paddle, and tried swimming out, and it sucked his body down. And this happened several times. He was already hypothermic, exhausted, and he did something crazy. It was a, a thought at the last moment when he was down at the bottom last night. We want to stay away from down there. It's dark. Water's moving real fast. It's super cold. That's where the big rocks are racing over. The, the water's racing over the big rocks. And he dove down, took a big breath, and dove down to the darkest, coldest, most scary place. And at that very bottom place, he found a little tug to his right, and he swam with it. And a moment later, he was spit out Either keeper hole, about 30 feet away. So within it is a turning into this good thing. Sometimes it's enough to investigate these things and, and uh, go towards the very thing you're most afraid of, go right into the darkness, right into the fear, right into the shame. That very thing that you have been trying to escape is actually a pathway
0: out of it without trying to escape it. And again, I think um, when you become aware that you've been caught, you are uncaught momentarily. So that's the gift of mindfulness. And then from that point of recognizing that you've been lost in the sea of rumination, now that you see that, you're, you have stepped out of it. And perhaps now, what do I do with that? Okay, let me go for, let me, what other options do I have available rather than slipping back into it? And also, of course, I think it's very helpful to know that, that there's something that's driving rumination, and we often don't seek the deeper what's going on. Just like a car has a warning light on the dashboard, it says brake, the brake light's on. But the problem ain't on that light it's wired down to something much deeper. and So what's wired into the rumination as we begin to stay with that feeling and begin to investigate it, not analyze it? Again, if we begin to discover more about what's fueling it, what's feeding it, that understanding may begin to set us more free. And we're identified with a certain story, a certain narrative that keeps us getting caught and around in circles again. But now I'm seeing this story. I'm becoming potentially a little bit less enslaved by it. There's nothing like understanding that can begin to set us more free. And this is the heart of mindfulness practice, is developing understanding of where we get caught, This is why it's an insight meditation. Please.
7: Recently, I had a dream where I was in an elementary school and I was lost and I couldn't figure out how to get out of there and I started to panic and um, I um, told myself in the dream, I know how to get out of here and I woke myself up and then I, I realized whenever I'm having a dream that I don't like, I can wake myself up and this morning, I realized that that the message of the dream was that you can do that in your awake life. So when I'm feeling lost or panicky, I'm going to try to tell myself I could get out of this.
2: I wish I could have figured that out when I was in elementary
0: school. But what what a beautiful like like I love that. It's like like there's like there's wisdom, and if we're open, there's access and listening.
6: So I had been working with that concept of going towards the feeling for a long time, cerebrally. And um, I had this experience where I was very worried something was gonna happen. And I kept having this panic symptoms of like, what if this is gonna happen? What if this is gonna happen? And um, you know, And I knew that I should say, okay, yeah, that could happen and say it out loud, but I couldn't. It took me like two or three months to be able to say it. And then once I started saying, like, yeah, that might happen, and I would say, yes, that could happen, yes, that could happen, and I would feel the waves of anxiety roll over me, and I would start to get preoccupied with it. I would just lay down and try to be with it. It took me a long time to be able to tolerate that. And then eventually, I started learning just saying, like, yeah, that could totally happen, and then I was able to sort of get past that a little bit and start thinking, okay, well, and then what happens? And then I kind of think it through. And um, I can't do it all the time, but when I do it, it's very, mm-hmm. it's incredible. But yeah. it was scary, and it took months and months to just be able to say out loud that yeah. the thing could happen.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I think there's a great power in giving it a name. It's like, I see you. There's actually historically in ancient Buddhist literature about a metaphorical demon named Mara and Mara used to come and kind of distract the Buddha, and the old story goes. And, um, but of course, um, every time that Mara came, the Buddha would say, I see you, Mara. There's a story of him meditating and getting woken up, and Mara gets out all these arrows and tries to shoot the Buddha. And supposedly the Buddha says, I see you, fear. I see you, Mara. And then the arrows turn, metaphorically speaking, into lotus blossoms. But the, the great power of naming, of seeing, of saying out loud, I see you, is, it can be very helpful. And that was a big process you went through. Yeah, it could happen. It could not happen too.
2: If you wanted to find a beginning of a book, uh, maybe a title or maybe any chapter in a book about anxiety, what if would be a good name for that. <laughs> it's one of the generators of anxiety. And so generally, right after what if, we fell it in with generally the worst of possibilities. And we can get stuck in that worst of possibilities. It's like, almost like the Tar Baby story. And you don't have to. The what if thinking... I, I heard from a rocket scientist as they were talking about launching the, the um, Explorer... And they said, we really like those what-if guys. And they really come up with everything. But the what-if guys' families are one thing. And another thing, too, (coughs) And the what-if guy himself creates a lot of anxiety with what-if, what-if, what-if. It's also a habit that's not really all that constructive for most of us.
4: <laughs> Thank you. Is it. So, we, we talked a lot about rumination. A, a, a phrase that comes to my mind is snowballing, speaking of snow country, and um, uh, how I find that it just takes one little trigger sometimes, and then, like, I'll be walking around my house, and where you know normally it's a, i see a beautiful view but i you know when when things are triggered and it's it's just a snowball of negativism then it's like the roof we have to fix and the sewer line we have to work on and you know it's just and and then you know a lot of other things come up about my past and how did i get to this point in my life and you know why isn't my life <laughs> better than it is, and it's just, you know, this it's a snowball effect, and I, can you speak more specifically to that? I think, you know, we've been talking about it all day, but that's just how, how it occurs for me, and I get into these, you know, just <laughs> tumble down the rat hole with, with the snowball <laughs> rolling over me.
2: Well, I've come to the point where I really... Uh... I've become rather distrustful of that voice, I think, and whatever it comes up with. I'm, I'm, uh, it's like um, there's a wonderful um, roomy poem, it's a computer poem. It says, Don't go anywhere with me, mind think nothing, voice say nothing. This presence, um, you know, uh, it's uh, easy to get caught in the very worst of possibilities. And uh, it's often a means to power uh, for those that are wanting to uh, scared, in order to have power, uh, is to propose the worst of possibilities. And, and we've got a part of our mind that is a fear monger. I've come to recognize it with its 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 shenanigans. I don't trust it. Uh, it's a recognition, I guess. And I'm not trying to get rid of it. You are, you know. Guys, all know the story of the tar baby. I'm not fighting the tar baby. I'm not hating the tar baby. I'm not trying to get rid of the tar baby. I'm just allowing the tar baby to sit there and mind its own business, and I'll mind my own business and let it be. When I'm. Um, Paul McCartney, he was. I heard him talking about that song once years ago. He said, I didn't write that song. I'm not smart enough to write that song. I don't know where that song came from. It's larger than me. And there's a lot to be said about letting be when you recognize, oh, just it's a, it's a hornet's nest. Don't touch it. And it's okay to let a lot of these things be. It, the, the sewer light hasn't burst yet.
0: <laughs> and again, that... Um know what what's fueling and driving this so this is being now recognized as a very familiar pattern i'm back in the hole again but now i see i'm in the hole and yes so can i begin to get out of the hole and walk around the hole but also i guess the gift of understanding what's driving that what's driving that sense of angst that sense of despair that sense of it's not right or as you looking at life in this way. And I think the more that we can sit with that, to open to that pain, to that angst, to listen to it, it's becoming our teacher. And that's, I think, one of the wonderful gifts if we can begin to recognize whatever is a challenge, if we begin to see that it's actually a teacher that has come in drag. And it's actually showing us sometimes with terrifying clarity exactly where we're stuck actually where we need to actually bring more attention to rather than less and so but this is a very different orientation in in a world that we want to get away from our pain rather than investigate our pain but don't you notice that the pain continues to follow you no matter where you go and so it's a very radical approach that to consider these challenges as an opportunity it's a teacher it's showing us where we're caught it's showing us where we're stuck so let's bring our practice to investigate this. And this is what happens in MBSR too. It's like really, because people are, every people, we're all coming in with a lot of different things going on. And how do we begin to, to I, I can't be, I'm not responsible for my illness but I can be responsible to it or to my anxiety that I can act, that actually that there's perhaps skills that I can develop inside myself to empower me with my own sovereignty that I can begin to take responsibility on my relationship to this and that perhaps I can have cultivate a wiser relationship as I begin to understand the triggers and the fuels and the stories that I'm telling myself again and again that I've so desperately believed in but now I'm beginning to see that there might be something else coming back to these narratives. So, I think our time is getting close. So maybe this is the last one. Unless someone else has, does someone else have a mic? Okay, so this will be the last one because um, it's 4.30 now, just about 4.30.
7: So, you talked a lot about turning towards it, but can you talk about how you teach Cultivating a non judgmental, loving kind presence with it? <laughs> I know that's a big question.
2: Hmm. Well, you're sitting there and watching, and you, oh, that's a judgment. Well, that's another judgment. That's a judgment about judging. <laughs> and you're, you're identifying it, but you're not identifying with it. Oh, that's. That's blaming. Oh, that's another blaming. Or that's a thought. Oh, that's another thought. So that within it, I'm the part of me that is witnessing that is aware of anxiety is not itself anxious. The part of me that is aware of pain is not itself in pain. Awareness doesn't want anything or not want anything. It doesn't judge or strive towards anything. Awareness, on the other hand, is also capable of witnessing without being sucked into, lost, caught. This is very useful. The keeper hole could only kill him as long as he tried to escape it. As soon as he quit trying to escape it, he got free. I ran into him in the market about four years ago. He was 72 when that happened. And I I said, "Well, do you you remember? He said, Steve, I I almost died. Nobody forgets that. It was a miracle. I said, you knew it already, didn't you? You read one of your your books about kayaking. No, I didn't. It it, It was crazy. I had no other choice. Every time I tried to escape, it was making it worse. It was crazy. I went for it right towards the worst, scariest thing. And I was free. And I think of it as a really powerful teaching. The wisdom of no escape,
0: really real. And, you know, i just say that um, as we begin to, the very act of beginning to meet it and to acknowledge it is an act of kindness, because I'm actually willing to acknowledge what's there. And potentially as we begin to understand it more, we begin to recognize that part inside of us that's been calling out for years She or he saying to me, love me, love me, Hmm. listen to me, hold me. I'm scared, I'm sad, I'm filled with shame. And I begin to respond to him or her with great kindness. That's the natural response of compassion when this deep understanding It just comes together. The natural response is to reach out with great kindness. Because we understand the hurt and the pain. So let us sit for a minute. Mm. Mm. So there's a Spanish poet, Antonio Machado, and he has this three-line verse. speaks to the glories of of awareness and he says some say it's good to dream and others say it's better to live but best of all my friend is to awaken (laughs) best of all my friend is to awaken so we thank you very much and um For those that are interested in mindfulness-based stress reduction, um, there's a website called the Center for Mindfulness. You can Internet search that, and it has a list of certified MBSR teachers worldwide, and, of course, there's the whole state of California. Both Steve and I are certified, offer programs. On the handout that uh, is out front, um, both Steve and my website is on there with further information. I've also actually put on the table, if any of you are interested in mindfulness-based stress reduction Part, there's a teacher training trajectory with a number of trainings, and I offer one of these types of trainings here in Northern California at El Camino Hospital. I'm starting a program in um, January, if you're interested. There's some flyers, and, of course, there's some books, and I brought some CDs. Um, I think, as far as resources supporting you in practice, uh, if you do an internet search for mindfulness, particularly here in northern california don 't worry you 're in good company there 's a lot going on here, and you know and sitting with a group is can be very helpful, just like you might have experienced today, sitting in a, a community with people practicing, wanting to be present, can be very, very supportive and so really want to encourage you um, um, if this is helpful to um, you know, sit with another mindfulness group, and of course, there's all types of apps and audio downloads there's so much on mindfulness that you can uh take a look and um i'll just say and let Steve speak in a minute, just thank you so much for coming today it's been an honor and a privilege and uh, may you be well
2: and and ditto with uh, you know the the recognition that you have a wisdom inside of you. We, we would hold ourselves up on this podium or something like we know something. But uh, you know anything. If we say it, what we're saying, uh, you should be going, I know that. If we're telling you something new, then please let us know. But if we're, if we're doing our job well, it's like, well, of course, my five-year-old could tell me that. And this is just... No and it 's not based from some kind of some gymnastics of the mind it 's just come, we make discoveries when we 're present, and the more present, the more we are, the more free we become. So thank you so much for
1: coming. an honor.